10. If you want to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, although he was Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he effective, effective, effect, uh, effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. So we are in part two of our series uh, on Galatians now, New Paths, looking at how the culture of the church was changing, how the culture of the people who followed God and were seeking to be Yahweh worshipers, how their culture was changing and how they were navigating it because it was really hard because we don't always do well when things change. And here the church had been Jewish for a long time. Actually, it hadn't even been called the church. It had just been called the people of God or the children of God. And the, being the children of God meant that you were Jewish. God had called out Abraham. He established the Jewish nation, and they were the followers of Yahweh. So if you wanted to become a follower of Yahweh, you converted to Judaism. You became a Jew because being a Jew was what it meant to be the people of God because God had founded a nation to carry his message. And so the being part of the nation was kind of part of being a Yahweh follower. But now things had changed, and being the people of God was not attached to any one nation. It wasn't just attached to being Jewish. And they were struggling with this because God had given the Jews a culture which included circumcision and included clean and unclean animals and the Sabbath. And this is what it had meant from God to be faithful in his service. So did it still mean that? Or is these guys coming up with these newfangled changes and they're not real and they're not good followers of Yahweh because they're not doing it right? And as we said, there was this group of guys who are following around behind Paul as he's founding churches that are primarily Gentile. And they're coming in and saying, hey, we're here from Jerusalem. We're here from the home church. And we're here to tell you what you're missing, which is you need to get circumcised and you need to watch out what you eat and you know, observe the Sabbath and other Jewish things, and you need to, you're not Jewish enough yet to be truly worshipers of Yahweh, part of his kingdom. And so we saw last week where Paul said, man, you, you, this is, you're following a different gospel now, a different way to be okay with God. But we also saw that Paul was talking about how he went and connected to Peter, and that he went and he stayed 15 days with Peter. He had been, Paul had been starting to share his 
his understanding of the gospel with Gentiles for two years, and then he went and went up to Jerusalem privately, and he said, I only met with James and Peter, and I lived with Peter for 15 days, and, and James is the only one that I connected with. And he says, so now he continues his story, and now he says, and now it's been another 14 years. So we're up to almost 17 total years now, because it's been another 14 years where he's, think about how long that is. I have been now the senior pastor here. I'm, I'm embarking on year 16, and that feels like a really long time, right? That seems like a really long, it seems like forever ago that, that I became the lead pastor. And yet 16 years, so this is 14 years. This is a long time that Paul's been working and sharing and doing all this stuff. And then after 14 years, it says now he's going up to Jerusalem. He's taking Barnabas and Titus along also. And so these 14 years, and it says visit to Jerusalem. And he says, well, God sent me. He went in private and he says, and he was concerned, but I did so in private to those who are of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. What a statement. Think about that. For 14 years, and then for two, three years before that, he's been proclaiming the gospel to Gentiles, telling them this is how it is, and now he says, what if I'm wrong? What if I've been wrong? So he goes up to talk to them to say, I want to make sure I'm not wrong. That's an amazing statement after 14 years that maybe I've been doing it wrong all this time. Maybe this has not been worth it. And so he gets there in verse 3, he says, but when I got there, everything was all right. It was all good. Because he brought along a Gentile, Titus. Titus is a Gentile who is a leader in the church. We have a book of Titus because Titus becomes a leader in the church, and we have a letter where Paul wrote to Titus to say, here's how you be a leader. And Titus is an important one of the pastoral epistles because Paul was continuing to give Titus instructions on how to lead the church. But Titus is a Gentile. So he comes up to Jerusalem, and Titus is not Jewish. He hasn't converted to Jew Jewism, to be a Jew. He hasn't gotten circumcised. He hasn't joined the people of the Jewish nation. And they're like, that's fine. They said they didn't, they didn't ask him to become circumcised. They didn't, they didn't try to convert him into being a Jew. They didn't care. It was fine. And said the fear that they had, the fear that he had that maybe something was wrong, he says, those brothers were false. They were coming and saying, we're, we're coming on behalf of James, the head of the Jerusalem church. We'll see, there's other places, I don't remember if it's in the Galatians or where, we'll see it later. Um, but at one point, James sends a letter to some of these churches and says, these guys who are coming, we didn't send them. Uh, they're claiming they're from us, they're not. And that's what he says here. He gets up there and they're like, hey, that... Those guys aren't from us. Oh, okay, good, because they were telling us we were doing it wrong. Yeah, we didn't send them. So he calls them false brothers, and then he says, we didn't listen to them for a minute. Okay. He says, but they did, he did realize it was a different gospel, but he was humble enough to go check this, and he says, so we just ignored them. We just ignored them, verse 5. And then he gives the results of this con consultation. Already put one of the results there in verse 3, as far as they didn't ask Titus to be converted to Judaism. But verse 6, he says, those who are of reput high reputation, and that makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Paul, if you read Paul a lot, Paul's very learned, he's a man of letters, very educated, and he's an expressive. He's like me, if he's thinking it, he's saying it. I frequently say what I'm thinking. Um, sometimes you hear it the same time I do, 
which can be problematic at times because it comes out of my mouth way before I've thought about it. And then I go, ooh, did you hear that? And you're like, I heard that. Like, uh, yeah, that was dumb. Well, Paul kind of does that too in his writing. So if you read this, you'll see all of a sudden he'll say something and then he'll start talking about that for a second. And he does that here in verse 6 where he goes, but those who are of high reputation, what they were, makes no difference to me. Uh, God shows no partiality. Well, and then he's back to his subject. And he'll do that again in a minute. And we'll talk about that in a second. He says, but they contributed nothing to me. Now, that, I don't know what your translation reads. Mine in the NAS says, they, they contributed nothing to me. It sounds like a negative statement. They contributed nothing. But this contributed, he doesn't mean they gave me nothing. You know, in a, what he means is, they did not add anything to what I was already doing. They had no additional instructions. They did, not like, they did not say, oh, yeah, you've been teaching grace in Jesus, but hey, circumcision matters. They didn't add anything to what Paul's already been teaching. That's what he means when he says they didn't contribute anything. He doesn't mean that negatively. He means that positively, they did not add, they did not give me additional instructions that I, they thought I should be teaching. Verse 7, you see that that's what he means because he says, on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. And then you have another one of his little commentaries to the side, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that was given to me. So first he says, so listen, Peter is speaking to circumcised people. He's got one ministry. I have an entirely different ministry, and both of them are from God. That's what verse 8 says, verse 7 and 8. It says, Peter has one target, I have a different target. And then verse 8, he says, and both targets are from God. And God is effectively working through Peter, and God is effectively working through me, and it's different. Two different things. Two different ministries, but the same, two different targets, but the same message. But the, it matters, two different cultures between the circumcised. And this is important to understand, because I told you last week, we're going to be tracing this relationship between Paul and Peter, because next week, we're going to see them in conflict, and a lot of people just focus on their conflict. And we're going to see Paul rebuke Peter. It's like, oh yeah, Paul had to tell Peter off. But you've got to hear that before we ever get to that part, that Paul, Pete, Paul, is, re Paul is repeatedly telling Peter, who picked a pipe pick of peppers, Paul is repeatedly telling us how effective and important Peter is. And that Peter has a different ministry and that it's important, and it's effective, and it's ordained by God. So Paul spends a lot of time building Peter up here. And a lot of times we miss that, and we just focus on what we're going to focus on next week, which is their dispute. And it sounds like Paul's kind of like being high-handed with Peter. He's not. This is, we'll see next week. But here again, he says, listen, he effectively worked for Peter. Peter's an apostle. He has a ministry that God has called him to. He says in verse 9, but they recognized the grace. If you remember last week, grace was a major word. Because first he told them, how, have you abandoned the gospel that you got in grace? And then he shared of his own conversion, for I was a, a rigorous, zealous Jew, and God called me out of that to grace. So twice last week he emphasized grace. And so then here he brings it up again. Only Now he says, they recognized the calling of grace grace that I had. And they gave acceptance and validation. They said, your ministry is good. Your ministry is, matters. And then, verse 10, they only asked one thing. 
Focus on the poor. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. And we're going to talk about what that means in a minute because that hits our ears in a, in a general way and we need to know how Paul understood that. We'll get to that in a minute as we discuss it. So it went really well because even though the Jerusalem church was a Jewish church that was very tied up in the, the Jewish traditions, they say, you're good. You're good. Don't worry about it. You don't need this stuff. We have nothing to add. We affirm God has called you in grace. The only thing we ask is remember the poor. So let's discuss this. A few things to call attention to in here. Even though Paul thinks he's right, he's humble enough to know he could be wrong. I mean, it's just huge for him to have been doing this for 16, 17 years and then go up and say, I was concerned that I might have been running in vain. I mean, I just, I read that, I go, oh my word, Paul. Because Paul is not, you know, Paul's no shrinking violet here. And he says, but I, I wanted to make sure. Because he knows he could be wrong. Obviously, we think we're right. I think I'm right. If I didn't think I was right, I would change it. You don't say, I'm wrong, but I'm going to stick with it. Most of us don't do that. But Paul said, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so, but I'm humble enough to know I might be. And I think that's really important as we get into these theological things. But then Paul sees the issue as he goes up to Jerusalem, not in terms of reputation or clout. If you listen, he repeatedly talks about that the guys in Jerusalem are kind of like the famous ones. Everybody in church knows Peter and James. They're the big names. And he keeps saying, they were men of reputation. And then you keep hearing him say, but I don't care about that. Is he, are we hearing Paul be insecure? Are we hearing Paul kind of poo-poo that they're big names? That's not what his intention is. That's not what's, what he's communicating. What could it look like? This is what Paul's combating. It could look like Paul went up to Jerusalem to get the approval of important people because they were big names. And so that it could look like Paul's going up to kind of get the celebrity endorsement of the big names because these are the big names in the church. And he's like, that's not why I went up to them. I didn't go up to them because people consider them big names. I didn't go up to them because they're so well-known or got such a, so much clout. But he still went up to them. Why? Because he trusted their ministry, not their popularity. He was not looking to be affirmed so that he could get the popular seal of approval. He just cared about, is this valid? He cared about what Peter and what James and John and all the apostles thought because they said, hey, God is using you, and so I care about your opinion, not your celebrity status or approval. I don't care that you're popular. I care about what you think because of your standing with God. And that's why he keeps coming back to every time he talks about these men, they're, they're, they're supposedly pillars. But he's like, that's not why I went to them. I, I'm not going to try to get seal of approval from the Jerusalem church so that I can put that on my resume and look impressive. I don't care about that. This isn't about clout. It's not about popularity or reputation. It's about God's direction. That's, I went up to find out if they think this is valid as far as what God's doing, not about whether man approves. And so Paul doesn't see the issue in terms of getting the approval of Jerusalem so that he can be popular and be accepted by the popular people. He's like, but they're apostles. Their opinion matters because of their ministry. 
And that's really important to understand, and that's why Paul keeps coming back to it, saying, I don't care that they're popular. It's not that he's dismissing their popularity. He says, that's just not, that's not why I went to see them. It's not that they were, and we see this in 6, 7, and 8. He says, those who have reputation, what they are makes no difference to me. He says, that's not, that's not why I went to them. Okay, so the next thing goes with this. The cultural frameworks were secondary to the gospel because they had all these cultural frameworks, clean and unclean food. The, the church had, because, I mean, they met in the synagogue. The church was made up of Jews who their whole culture was Jewish and their whole experience had been, this is what it means to be a Yahweh follower. And yeah, now we understand that Yahweh has come in the flesh of Jesus Christ, but we know what you do and this is how you do it. We talked about that a little bit last week, that we have these cultural frameworks, like wearing a tie or being in this building on Sunday. And he says that wasn't the issue. But then what was, what was the primary issue? Care for the poor. Whoa. Now what does that mean? And this is where you need to understand this, that this is a wider church issue. So I get, need to just explain for a minute the context in which Paul would have understood this. Because Paul knows what they're talking about. If you're a Christian in Jerusalem, which is where it started. The church started in Jerusalem because Jesus got them started. And then it started spreading throughout Jerusalem, but now it's beginning to spread out into the empire. So as we said last week, Galatians, the Galatians live in what's now Turkey. They're way over somewhere else. They're living outside of, but in Israel, that's where most of the church is, and most of the church is Jewish. Well, the church has never been popular in Israel. Why? Because the Jews, who are the predominant culture, think they're heretics. They killed Jesus because he didn't fit the mold, and now they're trying to go after his followers. And if you read the book of Acts, part of why the church is starting to explode out in the empire is because so many Christians fled Jerusalem because persecution was coming down so heavy. And if you were persecuted as a, a follower of the Messiah Jesus in Jerusalem, you got kicked out of society. We'd call it in our language today, can't cancel culture. Because they kicked you out of the synagogue and you are out of, you grew up in Jewish society. All your friends are Jews. Everyone's Jews. We're the Jews. This is our society. We live in Israel. But all of a sudden, you are not invited to anything. Your whole family is like, you're dead to us. You are kicked out of your family, and they, you, know, you got a little shop. You think they're coming to your shop? They're not coming to your shop. You're outside of the fellowship because you're a heretic following this Jesus who didn't we kill him? Haven't you learned your lesson? And, so, and then the Romans, so that's bad. So you're already struggling, and you're already having trouble as a, as a Jesus follower living in Israel. Now, the Romans have one value, one value they don't care about your religion. The Romans had a ton of religions. They're like, worship whatever you want, just make sure you give your respect to the emperor and worship him a little bit, and you can worship whoever you want. Rome was just, really, they didn't care. As long as you were willing to bow to the emperor, you're good. Of course, these Jesus people, they're a little bit antsy with that, but that hadn't come out too much yet. But the, the Roman authorities, they prized more than anything, peace. And Jerusalem and Israel is constantly not at peace. And that's, remember, that's what happened with Jesus. The Jews wanted to kill Jesus because he's messing with their religion thing, because he keeps saying that he's God and Messiah, and they don't like that. 
So they want him dead. They can't kill him. Why? Because they're not in charge. They, they run the culture, but they don't run the government. The government's Roman. So they have to go and get permission to do the death penalty. And that's why you have that whole thing with Pilate. And Pilate interviews Jesus and like, no, actually, I don't think he deserves the death penalty. But what's the number one rule for the Romans? Keep it quiet, guys. And so they're like, but we're really mad at him. We want to kill him. He's like, fine, kill him. Just be quiet about it. And that's what Pilate does. He washes his hands. He goes, this isn't me. This is you guys. But if you want to kill him, if that's what it takes for peace, go ahead and kill him. And he gives them permission to do capital punishment because Pilate just wants peace. So now, what keeps stirring up the Jews in Israel? Those Christians. So what are the Romans are like? Well, then those Christians must be bad because they're, in, they're disturbing the peace. Why? By existing. Because their culture hates them. So we hate them because they're an irritant. And so you're a Jew that follows Jesus in Jerusalem and in Israel. You're having it bad. And you're probably poor. And you're very possibly imprisoned which means you can't support your family. And so they're having a rough time. And if you read the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, Thessalonians, as Paul is out there with all these other churches, one of the things you'll see if you pay attention is they're taking collections for the poor, but it's not the poor Galatians. It's not helping out somebody down the road who's out of a job. It's sending money back to the Jewish Christians who need help because they're in trouble. And that's, when, that's what's happening in verse 10. They say, remember the poor. They mean the, our poor. When you, get, when you write to Galatia, when you go back to Galatia, when you go talk in Colossae, when you go to Philippi, tell them to remember they have an obligation to their brothers and sisters who do not share their nationality, their ethnicity, nor their culture, but they are followers of Christ. They don't have an obligation to eat like this, but they need to send us money so we can eat. And that was central. Because that's the only thing that they were insistent upon. And Paul said, and I was okay with that. I, I, already, I was already planning to do that. And you read in some of the letters where he will say to some of the churches, by the way, we got, they got the money, thank you. You have been so crucial. And then later when Paul got in prison, they send Paul stuff. Because remember, if you ended up in prison, it wasn't three hots and a cot, it was dark hole and good luck. And so they're like, Sending him coats because it's cold in there. Because they didn't, you know, you're a prisoner. Why should we care about you? And so the church had to take care of the poor and those in prison. Later, we see Jesus says, how do I know if you're mine or not? When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? He's talking about Christians under pressure. Did you take care of your fellow Christian who may not share your culture? Because he's talking to Gentile churches. He says, the one thing that is important for you to understand about the Jewish church is they're your brothers and sisters, and they need you right now. And so these churches were sending money back across the empire, outside of their circles, to help take care of the Jewish Christians who are under pressure and were now poor because of the persecution of Jesus. That's a huge thing, because you think about our, our experience these days. As we've talked about, as we mentioned last week, everything we're doing this morning is a cultural expression because nowhere in the Bible does it say meet on Sunday morning. It just says gather. It doesn't say when, where, how. It just says do not forsake getting together. We decided to do it Sunday morning in a big white building with a point on the top and rows. That's how we've chosen to do it. But is that primary? Nope. 
totally secondary. But now, over two years ago, as everything was crazy and people didn't know what to do, and the government said, okay, any groups are greater than 10, you probably shouldn't do that because you can get each other sick. And so they just said, don't get together. They didn't just say churches don't get together. They said, everybody, don't get together in big groups. But that included us, and it affected us, and affected churches all over. And, and what did a lot of us do? We got very upset because you're interfering with the church. Why? Because the church is Sunday morning for an hour and a half and a big building, and we're supposed to be together. And if, you, if we can't do that, we're not a church. Well, that's just not true because we just decided to do it this way. God didn't tell us that if you don't meet on Sunday morning for an hour and a half, done by noon, we've got our roast in the oven, that it's, it's, that's church. The Bible doesn't tell us that's church. We decided that's church. And then what did we report to the world? That's church. Our central value is we need to be able to meet Sunday morning. You know what? You didn't see any Christians piling into court over or getting interviews on TV or radio or sending out appeals and newsletters to say, the government is keeping us from taking as care of the poor as we want to. Nobody fought for that. Nobody made a big stink of, we need to take better care of each other. It was, we need to be able to walk into our big buildings and have our big services because that was primary. And the Jerusalem church says, you know, all these things that were part of how we expressed ourselves, that's not important. But you know what is important? We got, you got to take care of the other Christians. That's what's most important. And so the question, we have three questions this morning. The first one, do we pull back from those whose calling and culture are vastly different from ours? Because it's so easy to do. Because we decide this is how it's supposed to be. And once I know how it's supposed to be, if you're not doing it the way how it's supposed to be, you're wrong. You know, and like, I, I, like we talked about last week, I grew up with how is it? You know, Sunday morning, you don't wear jean stitch, you wear a tie. Church is Sunday morning, and you go. And if you don't, you're probably not walking with Jesus. Now, all those things are not bad things. It's good to wear a tie. It's very good to be here. I'm a big fan. And you're here this morning, so at least you're somewhat a fan. Hey, good for you. Yay, gold star. But you go into different cultures, and that's why I wanted to talk with the kids about, you go down to the Dominican, you walk into those churches, and it's different. And it's not like radically different, but it's different. I think, all told, you guys would do better than a lot of places if, you, if we all just went down there, because Beans Corner is slightly South American. Like, they, they have a, they, the service is going to start at this time. That just means when they start. You start when you get there. And that's kind of like here. Especially these days. But it's always been that. When I got here, it was like that. Church starts at 1030. We'll be there by 1045, 1050. Depends on how we're doing. And then when does the church get over? When we're done. Which that's not so much us. We're like, is he done yet? This morning, I kind of experimented with that first service. Get a little long. And so what happens? You just leave when you're ready. Now, you know, we got a row of teenage, young, half of my teenagers and got old farts now, but the, the young people, if they all suddenly in the middle of the service got up and walked out, we'd all be like, what's their problem? And this has happened a few times. You know, somebody had to get up and go out and then they call later. Sorry, we got a phone call. Uh, it turned out that the, you know, my neighbor called and we had water running out the front door and we had to go home. Oh, okay, cool. But why do they, why do they check in with me? Because you saw me leave. What's really embarrassing is when I don't see them leave. 
Because I'm, you know, it's easy to miss. I'm busy up here. And so they'll say, I'm really sorry. I know you saw me leave. And I'm like, right. And then I'm like, oh, you were there that week? <laughs> but you, you can't say that. And, but why? But you're all like, oh, where, where are they going? What's wrong? But in, down there, the service may go a couple hours, a couple, two hours. You might, have, you might have stuff to do. So you just get up and go. You got there when you got there. You leave when you leave. And it just keeps going. So we go down there. We sit there for like maybe for an hour. And church is happening, but you're English speaking and Spanish, so you're like, okay. Hey. You don't know what they're doing. So after a while, we just get all, and there's like 30 of us, we all get up and walk out. And nobody's like, whoa, where are the Americanos going? Because they're all coming in and out. Now, the other thing is, and we had a lot of kids here first service, and they were loud. I love loud kids. You go down there, if you come in late, so I'll pick on Apollos. So, you know, Apollos comes in a little late, but he's not late. He got there when he got there, because you're not late because you get there when you get there. Down there, they late. What are you talking about, late? I mean, yeah, service is going half an hour. I'm not late. So Apollos might come in. He might see Nathan, his old buddy Nathan. And so rather than come in and sit down quietly, because service has already started, because service is just happening, so he's going to walk up to Nathan. He's going to say, hola, como estas? And they start talking in the middle of the service. You say, well, doesn't that make it kind of loud? Yeah, so you know what they do? The sound system, they have it turned up to 14 you go in and you're like, oh, it's so loud. That's right, because the people aren't quiet. You guys all sit there nice and quiet, so I can actually talk like this, and we're pretty good. If I talk like this down to the bank, and then I'll be going, okay, is he talking? Because it's, because people are just living. Because it's just a different culture. And so you go down, we go down, and it's an assault on your senses. Because the sound system is like, and then there's just this constant, buzz and it's just how they do church and we'd be like oh my word what is wrong with these people and they'd come up here and go like they might attend a service and one of them might come up to me afterwards pastor I think your people might be dead <laughs> they didn't make any noise and they didn't move <laughs> very concerned yep different culture do we pull back when it's different do we go oh my word this isn't right i'm so uncomfortable because it's vastly different than ours the second question that goes with that is do we think our calling and context should apply to everyone do we think that the way because the way we do it isn't wrong it is a cultural expression of our faith but do we think the way we express it is the way everybody has to express it? And if you don't express it our way, then you're wrong. Because that's easy to do. So one of, we support missionaries. He, he and I are childhood friends. We've been friends since junior high. And we support them here as missionaries. My friend James, James Morrill and his wife and kids. And they are down in Argentina. They've been down in Argentina uh, seven years now. Going on. They've been going on eight. Sometimes they've, when they've been in lockdown, sometimes they've worshipped with us on the stream. You just didn't see them because they're in Argentina. And like, like this, they needed support from churches to go minister somewhere else. And we've been doing that for hundred, hundreds of years. The church has supported missionaries in places that are not their own context. And so, and since our churches, most of our churches can't single-handedly support, you have to go and get a lot of churches to do it. So he had to travel around a lot. And he's traveling around Maine and New England. And of course, we have a lot of pretty conservative churches up here. 
which is not a bad thing in and of itself. And some of these churches have a very specific culture that this is how it's supposed to be. And he told me that one of the interesting things was a couple of churches he went into, of course, you know, it says in the Bible that when the Bible is translated into English, it must only be done once by King James, and that's it. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But there are churches that are that central. The King James is the only Bible that you're that is okay. And if you're not using the King James Bible, you're probably not really a Christian. So he was in churches like that, and people would come up to him and say, now, because he's asking, can you support my ministry? And they're like, well, and he got asked, are you going to use the King James Bible? I don't know if you've caught what the difficulty with that would be in Argentina. The King James Bible is, in case you didn't know, English. So if you're reading the King James Bible in a room full of people who don't speak English, it doesn't matter the these and thous, does it? They don't understand English. Reading the Bible to people in a language they don't speak is useless. They don't understand it. But he was like, okay, how do I explain this? Because the fact that you asked the question means you are not grasping different culture. That I cannot use the King James Bible, not because I don't believe that it's a good Bible. It's a great Bible. It's an awesome translation. The King James Bible is an excellent translation. Unless you speak Spanish, or German, or Russian, or any other language that's not English. Especially if you don't have a love for Shakespearean English. But there were churches that were not prepared to support him if he didn't use the right translation. Because they were so invested in their context. That they thought it should apply to everyone. It's like, you're not really thinking about the fact that some people don't speak English. You're so invested in the way you do it. And so, do we think that... The way we do it is the only way to do it. And that should apply to everyone. And so that leads us to our final question, which is do we allow ourselves to see beyond ourselves? Beyond our culture, our context. To realize that God does things differently because that's what they were struggling with. Because God had done things, and he had done it. I mean, again, he ordained circumcision. They didn't make that up. He ordained these things, but now he was doing something different. And they... They couldn't see it because all they could see is their own context. And this whole book is about Paul going, and I wanted to make sure this was valid, and the apostle said, it is. What is important is that you preach the good news of Jesus and you care for your fellow Christians. Are you allow, do you allow yourselves to see beyond yourselves, beyond our culture and our people? Because it's easy to say, well, we just need to take care of our people. But that's why I needed to point out that verse 10, when it says take care of the poor, it didn't mean your own poor. It actually meant the poor that you don't even know, you've never met them, and they are not your nation, race, or not your nation or ethnicity. They don't live in your country. They don't live in your town. The only thing that you have in common with them is Jesus. Don't forget that. Because our primary identity must be Jesus, not our culture, our nation, our race, or language. Can you see beyond that? It's tough. It's hard. That's why I so cherish the fact that this last night I went to church in Australia by virtue of the internet. This morning, over coffee, I participated through observation worship in Aberdeen, Scotland. And those are both 
we could implant this here and you wouldn't even feel discomfort that fit because they're all western western english speaking so it fits the culture is barely different but it's a little and i love going to the dominican because then it's like whoa different but they proclaim jesus as the son of god who lived for us died for us and rose again on our behalf and salvation as a result of his work on the cross that's what brings us together that makes us a church regardless of how you vote, how you speak, when you gather, the cultural ways you express your faith, which are valid, but cultural. What brings us together is we are not of this world, we are not citizens of this world. God's kingdom is our home, and we are citizens of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, it is tough, and especially we are in a time of cultural change here in America right now. Our culture has changed. We used to kind of be a more Christianish country. There was more widespread understanding of what at least we called church, and that's kind of gone away. Lord, our culture is increasingly not even understanding us, which you told us that the world wasn't going to love us, that the world would probably hate us. You told us to not be surprised when we're not understood, but a lot of us are still kind of offended because we thought the culture would favor us. And sometimes we have felt more in common with people who are like us rather than people who have trusted you as their Savior but aren't like us. Lord, help us to remember that you as Lord of the church have told us that your church is made up and should be made up of some of every tribe and nation. And that you have told us to reach all the nations. And that you have reminded us, and you reminded Paul through the apostle, other apostles right here, that we have to take care of each other as followers of Jesus because the world is going to hate us. And Lord, as we continue just to navigate even what it means to have different cultures in American culture. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Not fall in, so in love with our context that we fight the wrong battles. And we start missing what the good news really is, which is that you came, Yahweh, the eternal God, and because you love the world so much, you came, you were born as a human, lived as a human, allowed yourself to be shamed and killed shamefully to forgive our sins, to reconcile our rebellion. You rose again on the third day, and you now live with us. We look forward to the day that we're reunited with you and all our brethren around the world. In the meantime, Lord, may we be focused on your kingdom. May that be who we are as a church. And as we find different ways that you are reaching people, different ways that we do what we do, what you told us to do, may we never lose focus on you, your shed blood on the cross. And may we care for one another. We pray all this.